Hi everyone, welcome again to the podcast. Today the reading you will hear at Mass that we're going to dive into is one that you might not have heard before, or perhaps you haven't haven't heard for a while. It's sort of in this part of Luke that sometimes gets a bit neglected. So we'll read today's reading and then we'll have a go at doing a verse-by-verse exegesis of it to try and help you understand uh, what the author was trying to communicate to the original audience. So Luke chapter 17, verses 5 to 10. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. The Lord replied, Were your faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Which of you, with a servant ploughing or minding sheep, would say to him when he returned from the fields, Come and have your meal immediately? Would he not be more likely to say, Get my supper laid, make yourself tidy, and wait on me while I eat and drink. You can eat and drink yourself afterwards. Must he be grateful to the servant for doing what he was told? So with you, when you have done all you have been told to do, say, We are merely servants, we have done no more than our duty. So that's our reading for today, an interesting section here where Jesus is telling the apostles about the importance of doing their duty as the leaders of the church. So we want to start by thinking about the context. So Jesus is moving from Galilee. He's getting closer to Judea for the final phase of his ministry. And along the way, he's doing ministry and speaking to the crowds. And he's just been speaking to the apostles in particular. So keep in mind the audience here. He's speaking primarily to the 12 apostles. He's been speaking to them about how they need to treat other members of the church well. Particularly, he's been highlighting that they need to forgive other members of the church. And also, on the other hand, they need to avoid scandal. So those are things he's mentioned already. Now in verse 5, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. So it looks like the apostles here are pretty amazed at what Jesus has just said. They're quite challenged by the high expectations he's given them. And the apostles now have this desire to have more faith in order to carry out his instructions. So that's actually a good thing that they want more faith. The Lord replied, were your faith the size of a mustard seed? Now, the mustard seed was the smallest known seed in that area of the world. So what Jesus is sort of saying here is even if you had the smallest possible faith, so that's uh, what he said so far, you could say to this mulberry tree, or another translation there is sycamine tree. So this is quite a large tree. It had an extensive root system, so it was actually very hard to pull up. So the idea is you've got uh, the smallest possible known seed and then a very large tree that's very hard to pull out of the ground. Those are the two contrasts. Were your faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. There's a few interesting things going on here. So There's no sea near where Jesus was speaking. So, and also the sycamine trees don't grow in the sea. So when Jesus has this imagery of telling the sycamine tree to be uprooted and planted in the sea, it's basically an impossible task. It's quite remarkable to imagine a sycamine tree growing in the sea. It's supposed to be, he's giving them this image of something that's basically impossible. It's a form of hyperbole. And it's actually one of Jesus' favorite sayings. Jesus often says, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed. The point of it is it's about the power of faith. Jesus has picked an example of something which is amazing and impossible. And it's important to emphasize 
Jesus doesn't literally mean that the apostles could command a tree to move. Having said that, we can't rule that out. It's possible that with the power of the Holy Spirit, the apostles could do that. But that's probably not primarily what Jesus means. He's not saying that they could literally command a tree to move. He's just setting up an example here, a kind of a hyperbole. Jesus' main point is that even a small amount of genuine faith will enable God to do great miracles through them, which would otherwise be impossible. That's the point. He's showing them that they can do impossible things if they have genuine faith. So Jesus' response here could be interpreted to mean something like this. You already have enough faith, now go and use it. So it's sort of a challenge to them. Or maybe he's hoping that his disciples will have true faith. It's expressing Jesus' own desire that his apostles will develop that faith. You could interpret it either way there. Notice that Jesus is speaking to the apostles in particular. Jesus' teaching here appears to be that if the apostles as the church leaders have genuine faith, there are no barriers to God doing his work through them, so any miracle will be possible. So it's particularly in the context of Jesus speaking to his future church leaders. He wants them to have complete faith in God so that God is able to do work through them as leaders of the church. So we get to verse 7 now, and Jesus is going to build on this in quite an interesting way. Which of you, with a servant plowing or minding sheep... So let's stop there and think about what Jesus has said so far. Why has he brought up servants on a farm? Well, it was pretty common in that cult, in this agricultural culture for them to either live on farms or know servants who worked on farms. And if you did work on a farm, if you were a farm servant, there were certain things you would do. Now, these were paid servants. It's not the kind of slaves that you might think of in 21st century. These are paid servants who work on the farm and they have certain tasks to do for the people who own the farm. So Jesus says, which of you with a servant plowing or minding sheep? So he's sort of imagining that they are the masters. The apostles are the masters who own the farm. Which of you would say to your servant when he returned from the fields, come and have your meal immediately? Now, the whole point is they wouldn't do that. You wouldn't say to your servant when he got back, come and have your meal immediately. That's not how that society worked. Verse 8, Jesus says, Would he not be more likely to say, Get my supper laid, make yourself tidy and wait on me while I eat and drink. You can eat and drink yourself afterwards. Now, it sounds a bit harsh, but that's actually how it worked in that culture. It wasn't considered to be harsh treatment of the servant. It was just that they knew their place in society. When the servant came in from working, he would then put on his butler's gear, if you like, and then wait on the master, help prepare the master's food, wait till the master had finished eating before the servant himself got to eat. That was just the way things were done. Everyone's place in society and in the home, it was very clear in that culture. Jesus is just saying, isn't this the way things work? That's his point. Now, he uses, in verse 8, he uses this phrase, make yourself tidy. And what that basically means is gird yourself, make yourself ready. So, the image here would be of the servant putting on his Uh, waiter's gear to help uh, serve the master. Verse 9, must he be grateful for what he was doing, for doing what he was told? Or you can translate that as, does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? Now, this is a rhetorical question. The answer is no. The master does not have to thank the servant for doing what he was told, for doing what he was paid to do. That's not how the master, the servant-master relationship worked. The master gave the servant instructions, the servant did what he was told. That's just how it works. So we get now to verse 10, where Jesus makes his point. He says, so with you, or so you also. So he's about to give the meaning he wants his disciples to take away. Now, at this point, 
imagine he's speaking to the apostles. The apostles are probably thinking that in this kind of mini parable, they represent the master, right? But Jesus is going to turn it on his head here. When you have done all you have been told to do, or you can translate that as all that is commanded of you, the reference here is to God's commandments, particularly the ones which Jesus has given to the apostles during his ministry. All the way through, he's been telling his apostles, when you're the leaders of the church, you're going to need to do this and this. So notice he's treating them as the servants in the parable, right? When you have been, when you have done all you have been told to do, say, we are merely servants. We have done no more than our duty. That's Jesus' instructions here. He wants the apostles, when they've done all they've been commanded to do as apostles, they should simply say, we have done no more than we have been told to do. So interesting teaching here, isn't it? We are merely servants. We can translate that as we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. It's an interesting point, and it appears to be Jesus teaching his apostles that they should follow God's commands without complaint and without a sense of entitlement. Perhaps he can sort of sense that they're starting to get this sense of entitlement of thinking we're going to be the leaders of the church. Everyone's going to serve us. It's going to be great. And we know particularly from the Gospel of Matthew that they do start to think along these lines. So Jesus is telling them what true service is. They need to do what's commanded of them as leaders of the church and what Jesus expects of them as leaders without complaint and without a sense of entitlement. They should not expect praise or reward from God for fulfilling his basic commands. So they're commanded to do things like spread the message of the kingdom, shepherd God's people, serve God's people. Those are their commands. They shouldn't get a sense of entitlement. They shouldn't expect that God is going to be in their debt for doing these things. So Jesus is kind of putting the apostles back in their place here. He's telling them they need to be ready to serve others, not for others to serve them. You can look at it this way. The work of the apostles is very important, but it's not beyond the call of the Christian duty, and they should not expect uh, they they themselves, they can't fully repay God for the gifts that God has given to them. So in other words, he's teaching the apostles that you can't put God in your debt. So don't expect that to happen. The context here might shed a bit of light on this because remember the apostles have just asked Jesus to give them a special faith. They said, increase our faith. So maybe here, Jesus might be trying to teach the apostles patience and perseverance. Maybe he's saying to them, They need to do their duty as apostles before they can have this great faith that they're looking for. So possibly there's a connection between what has just come before this. Overall, Jesus is telling his apostles particularly, and maybe his disciples, all of his disciples by extension, he's giving them a sobering teaching that they should not become proud of their status as disciples or consider themselves to be special in the eyes of God for fulfilling his basic commands. Rather, their focus should be on serving other Christians in order to truly serve God in the way that he wants them to. So it appears that Jesus is doing kind of, he's stopping them from getting a big ego for serving God. He doesn't want them to feel selfish or special because that they are may have certain roles of leadership in the church. That appears to be what's going on here. He's saying, look, in the end, really, your servants, God has given you commands through me, Jesus, And the expectation is that you will follow those without getting a big head. Remember that you are servants. Now, we also need to balance this with other things Jesus says, because as you know, elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus does indicate that Christians who consistently work faithfully for God will be rewarded in the next life. In fact, he's just been saying that in Luke chapter 16. So in this case, 
I think we can say with a reasonable degree of confidence, he's speaking to his apostles particularly, maybe his other leading disciples by extension. He's warning them against getting proud in their role as God's leaders um, in the church. Hopefully you find that exegesis somewhat helpful. It's an interesting text. So if you want to hear the next section of text here, that will be verses uh, 11 through to 19. You can hear that on Wednesday of week 32 in Ordinary Time. Or if you're listening to this on Sunday, you'll probably hear it next Sunday as well. So let's finish today with just one catechism paragraph, which is from paragraph 162, which is about the necessity of persevering in faith. See if you can hear the echo of this passage here. Faith is an entirely free gift that God makes to man. We can lose this priceless gift, as St. Paul indicated to Timothy. Wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting conscience, certain persons have made shipwreck of their faith. To live, grow and persevere in the faith until the end, we must nourish it with the word of God. We must beg the Lord to increase our faith. It must be working through charity, abounding in hope and rooted in the faith of the church. So here the catechism reminds us that if we want to stay in the faith, we need to pray and we need to beg the Lord. That's what the catechism says. We need to beg the Lord to increase our faith. That should be the constant prayer of Christians. Thanks for listening today. Please keep telling other people about the ministry and we'll continue to look at the Gospels in the coming days.